Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. What's the greatest time of year? At least every other year, this time of year, you turn on your TV, you open your computer, and you can't help but see political ads. Political ads everywhere. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, Either the ads are slander, or they are full of promises, uh, vain promises of prosperity that, that, that will never happen. So maybe the best thing to do uh, is to just stay away from it all, right? Uh, especially us in the church. After all, we, we acknowledge a separation of church and state, don't we? Actually, it may surprise you, uh, uh, maybe it doesn't, that separation of church and state is, is not a biblical idea. Uh, it comes from the Enlightenment, uh, a time when the need for religion in the church was, was being pushed to the fringe of society. Because what it assumes is that God is only active in in one side and not the other. That that God only has influence in the church and not in society. So what happens practically then is that that over time, Christian teachings are are confined more and more uh, specifically to what happens uh, for an hour, maybe on Sunday mornings in a specific building. Uh, And even that is, is not safe. Rather, what the Bible shows us is that there is no authority except from God. Uh, the table of duties this morning and, and, uh, and our epistle lesson show us that there's two, uh, two realms that, that God gives the sword to. There's two types of ministers that God gives the sword to. And so we see that God works through both the state and the church. Now, this has been sometimes falsely misunderstood, as in the case of Nazi Germany, uh, to mean a, a kind of opposite, that, that whatever, whatever authority is in place, that we just have to be quiet and listen, because even terrible rulers are acting by God's authority. Rather, it means that God is still above every authority. And the authorities that are in place are to act for the good of those under them. But they are to be lawful. They have a duty. They are to carry out the duties that they are signed uh, by God and not step beyond their authority, their duty. A helpful distinction between these these two realms was made by St. Augustine and and carried on by Martin Luther, that there's a city of God, the church, and a city of man, the world. Two distinct kingdoms, but they are overlapping. As Dr. Adam Kuntz said this weekend, the church does not exist in a sealed vacuum from the rest of society, from the rest of life. The state of civil government and, and what decisions it makes does actually affect whether or not the gospel gets heard. And likewise, the estate of family uh, and the way that people live their lives or, 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 and whether or not they hear Christ uh, preached in their lives does actually affect whether or not they believe in Christ later on. And so the question is, what tools, what duties do each of these overlapping kingdoms have 
that are exclusive to them that God then uses to, to govern the world and act for the good of, of those in it. In the table of duties, we read that the duty of civil government is to be a terror to evil. But he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who does evil. So we see here that God uses power. He uses the sword to govern the kingdom of the world, the city of man. God has established and ordained civil government to bear the sword, and not to shut down what is good, but to punish evil, to, to bring up what is good. Uh, civil government's main duty, then, is to protect life. It's an extension of the fourth commandment and the fifth commandment, uh, which, which sometimes, then, that the government may actually mean uh, need to take life in order to protect life. On the other hand, the church, as we heard the last two weeks, does not have the power of the sword, but rather the power of grace. It's a kingdom of grace that God has ordained and given the authority to forgive sins, to distribute God's grace. So these two kingdoms are overlapping and independent because the gospel itself cannot preserve societal peace and justice. And civil government cannot effect salvation. The church cannot curb evil. I cannot, for instance, uh, send someone to prison for committing adultery or any other sin. And on the other hand, the, the, no one in the kingdom of the world, no one in civil government, can earn their way to heaven by protecting their fellow man. In the collect for today, the prayer for the day, we prayed, Lord, I beseech you to keep your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly given to serve you in good works. Now, some Christians think that uh, in order to do this, we as the church, we need to go on the offensive. We need to take up the sword and defend it against all adversities. Or at least form religious coalitions that, that take over the government and then put in our political party in office. So Christianity then becomes an appendage to a political party. And, and God's main goal then is to create a kingdom of prosperity on earth. But there's a reason we pray every Sunday in our general prayer after the sermon, for our government and authorities. We pray that they would carry out what God has ordained them to do, to act for the good of all and, and for the life of those under their care. But again, civil government is a distinct realm from the church. They are not to be mingled so as to create some sort of heaven on earth. It is impossible. The church does not get to take up the sword, and the government does not get to take up the gospel. It should not presume to preach the gospel. Now, God has given us in the church a sword, as we heard in our epistle lesson. But as St. Paul makes clear, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
And Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against even a, a different political party, people who disagree with us. But against the rulers, authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So for this reason, he says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand on the evil day and after you've done everything to stand, to keep standing. So if we do not want to be overcome by evil, the solution is not to take matters into our own hands and to overthrow everyone whom we think are more evil than we are. If we did that, we'd end up on a path to world destruction. For we ourselves are evil. There is no one good but God alone. Rather, the solution is to take up the word of God and pray. And with the gospel, we have readiness. We have readiness like, like shoes on our feet already for battle. And so we're ready at a moment's notice for whatever may come against us. And things will come against us unexpectedly. Sometimes by even those who we think are on our side. On our side politically, maybe even on our side in the church. On this side of heaven, we live in the church militant, a church that struggles with our enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Now, the idea of Jesus being a bringer of prosperity, of a heaven on earth, is is actually what Jesus encounters in our gospel lesson. Two verses before this, John writes, Now Jesus himself had testified that a prophet is not honored in his own country. And why? Because they don't want to live, and they don't want to believe they are in need of salvation from sin. They don't want a redeemer. They want a leader, a king, a worldly messiah. They want signs and wonders. They want peace and prosperity, health and happiness. Give them some political ads and promises and they'll be happy. So when a royal official comes to Jesus and wants Jesus to come down and heal his sick son, Jesus scolds all of them and he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you certainly will not believe. Now it's interesting who this man is that comes to Jesus. A royal official, in Greek, Basilikos. Uh, this is a man who is probably one of Herod Antipas's court officials. You know, Herod, the, the, the king, the emperor. Or, a, or possibly a relative of the royal Herodian family. So this man works for the son of the king who tried to kill the infant Jesus and subsequently murdered many innocent babies. And Antipas is the one whom Pontius Pilate is going to hand Jesus over to in just a short amount of time. This man works for him in his royal court. Now, can you think of a worse political party and situation for Jesus to get himself into? You know, how many of us would, would say to him, well, get out of here. You don't deserve anything from Jesus. Now, Jesus does scold him, but not for what we might think. Not for his affiliation but for his unbelief. Listen to, what the, listen to what the royal official said. Lord, come down before my little boy dies. 
Well, that seems like a good thing to ask, doesn't it? Right? Your son is sick. You want God to heal him. But what he's doing is, is demanding things of God. This man came to Cana seeking a healer, not God. He had a God back home. His God was his own son. He loved his son more than God. Now, to be clear, he, he did love a good thing, but he loved it disproportionately. He loved his son as if his son were the only thing in the world that mattered, as though death were the worst thing that could possibly happen, and, and as though Jesus did not come to die and transform death to be a passage to eternal life for his child. He wanted his son to live in this world, uh, a heaven on earth. And so his faith was not trust in God for all things, including eternity, and true heaven, but he demanded that God share the place of love and trust with his son. Jesus knows what he needs. And what he needs is not for Jesus to come down to his house. The man needs faith. So Jesus gives the man the only thing that can create faith. Not signs and wonders, not healing, not power, uh, not wonders, not demands, not a sword, but a promise. A promise spoken through words. In other words, the gospel. The sword of the Spirit. Go, Jesus told him, your son is going to live. And John records, the man believed this word that Jesus spoke to him and left. He believed the word. The man came to faith, the official came to faith without needing a visible sign. He simply believed what Jesus said. So here we see the interdependence between God's kingdom of the church and God's kingdom of the world. Civil government is to protect life, but it can't give it. Only in the church, only through the gospel, only through the preaching of forgiveness of sins can life be given and life be restored. And this gift comes by faith. So the church cannot be separated or sealed off from life. Because the real question then is for any of us, and especially for, for, for men and, and fathers like the royal official, is not what sort of world will it be in four years if so-and-so is elected, Will my children grow up in a prosperous country? Will they have opportunity in career and sports? Uh, the question is not, will my child have a good life, but will my child live forever? That's something the world cannot give. But it's a promise Jesus gives through the gospel. So Jesus says to you, just as he said to the royal official, go in peace live in the world, believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.